This is Art One Radio, the podcast with true stories from amazing queer people as told by themselves. My name is Salim, and this show comes to you from Stichting Art One. In this podcast, we bring you a selection of the stories that come from our podcasting workshops. In these workshops, queer refugees, newcomers, and activists produce their very first audio story. They hold the mic, they do the editing, and they make the sound design. In this episode, we will hear from Larry, who came from Trinidad and Tobago and has now been living in the Netherlands for a while. He talks us through a series of events that made him realize that he should leave his country. The story is called Rising Like a Phoenix. Come in. Hi, good morning. You've sent to see me. It was Tuesday morning around 8 o'clock. I attended this meeting that I was called on by the new minister. Um, sit down. I know it's not a practice, but I've called this meeting to discuss an urgent matter with you. It's no secret you've worked for the last prime minister for the past five years. But it's my opinion that you should do the honourable thing and step down. Immediately after telling me that I should resign, he handed me a cream manola folder uh, with several pieces of paper and photos in it. As I opened it, it was emails from my personal email account, my Gmail account, and photos, private photos of both me and my boyfriend. So, you know, I was really shocked by it. I, I began reading as much as I could. It was frightening that they would have my personal email. Obviously, they'd hacked into it. But what was your job? For the last five years, I'd worked for the Prime Minister as the personal assistant and advisor. Were you frightened or angry or sad over you know, there was so many uh, emotions flowing through me. At one point, I was really angry. I looked at him and I wanted to say some obscene languages, but I was afraid that it would make it worse. At one point, I was really mad. I was a, a bit frightened because I was wondering if this would go outside, outside of this meeting, in, in a country where being gay is not accepted at all. In my country, you have to live this very private life. Uh, And that is the life my boyfriend and I lived for over three years. He was married, had two children, uh, but yet still we had a three-year relationship. And we managed to do that living very, very private and quiet lives. If we didn't, you suffer the consequences of being beaten, attacked, and even arrested. Mm-hmm. And what would have happened if, 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 if those emails and photos became public? Uh, everyone would know that I'm gay. Everyone will know that he was gay. And sadly, I didn't think much about people knowing that I was. I was more concerned that they would know he was because he had a lot more to lose, a family and, and a wife. Um, so I was really more concerned uh, to protect his identity. Hence, I e- immediately made that decision. So tell me about Mark. How did you meet him? Yeah, 
Mark and I met uh, originally. We had met maybe three, four years before we actually met and became close. We used to work in the same uh, company, but we never really spoke to each other. We we carried about separate lives. Uh, but three years later, we met and we had a conversation, and we joked about you know working in the same building, but just passing each other by. Um, ironically, when we became close. It was at a time when I was going through a really rough time. So he really provided uh, that support and, and, and comfort for me. We talked a lot. I was able to, to open up to him, uh, let him know how I really felt. He had this look in his eyes most times when he looked at me. His eyes would almost glitter. We did crazy things. We would just leave work and go to the beach without planning it. And he loved my cooking, so I cooked for him almost every day. And particularly every Sunday, I cooked his favorite dish, lasagna, baked pork, coleslaw, and potato salad. In the days that followed, those same emails were released on the media which created several attacks on my character and physically. And I think it really culminated uh, on the last day I spent there before I left. On that night, at home with my best friend, just spending a quiet Friday evening, uh, we heard the sound, glass breaking, you know. And at first I, I didn't take it very seriously. I mean, it, it could have been at the neighbor's house. But my friend said she smelled smoke. And I got up to just casually look. And as I stepped out of my bedroom, there was smoke filling the corridors. Quickly, I screamed, oh my God, fire, you know, because I couldn't believe it. It was, it was shocking. And so um, we both started grabbing buckets from the bathroom and, and trying to, to, to out this fire. I took this blanket from my bed and, and started beating the fire. And eventually, you know, we managed to get it out. Um, only later to discover from the fire authorities that someone threw a Molotov cocktail in the bedroom. In the days that led up to that, the media was talking about my sexuality. Uh, my neighbors was looking at me very funny. I was attacked at a supermarket by four young men who had also seen the news reports and came up to me and said, oh, you're, you're gay, you're, you know, you're nasty, and, and they attacked me. Um, so it was, it was like a sequence of events, one after the other. The next morning, I went to the ATM machine to get some cash to buy a toothbrush and some food uh, because I'd left my house very quickly the night before. So while at the machine, I put in the card, put in my PIN number, and on the screen, it kept saying, please contact your financial institution. I tried the other card. It said the same thing. So I started to, to immediately think that the last night's fire and the frozen bank accounts were all connected.
After all that had transpired, it was clear that the best decision was to leave the country and go somewhere safer. When I arrived at the airport to purchase the next available flight out, the only flight was heading to London. So I decided, fine, I'll go to London. I arrived in London around 8 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, my first instinct was to try to find Wi-Fi to call my best friend, Nicole. And she was happy and sad at the same time. And I heard it in her voice because she started to tell me, you know, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but I really hope you don't, don't worry about it too much. But last night, um, four men came to my house uh, dressed in black with a SUV, police SUV. And they broke down the door and came searching for you. Uh, and I told them you're not here, but they still continued to search. And... I mean, I was really scared for her because, I mean, I'm not there, but she, there she is. And everybody knows she's my best friend. Um, but more than being frightened for what she just told me was the next thing she told me. I couldn't believe it. I mean, hearing her say it instantly in my mind, I thought, no, this couldn't be possible. Why would he do something like that? Um, but she continued talking about what other things he said and that's what made me more or convinced me that he had actually gone to the police and told them where I would be so what did she tell you she told me that the officers while talking with each other said that my boyfriend had come to them and given them her address and and told them that I would be there. Why would you do that? I don't know. I I cannot to this day uh, come to some thought of why. I've asked myself that question over and over. What question? Why would he do it? And if he really did it, you know? I mean... Yeah, those are questions I still have in my mind, I think, unanswered. Did you speak to him after you landed in London? Or? When I arrived in London, there was no contact with him. And especially since I had just been told that he could have been the one who uh, had gone and gave information about me. I was afraid to call because I didn't know if it would give my position away at this point. So I didn't. Did you ever spoke to him again? Three months later, after I arrived in London, I uh, he contacted me three months later. And he wanted to know where I was and why he'd not hear, heard from me. So I asked, well, why haven't you reached out to me in all this time? So I have to ask, after all we've been through, how could you possibly do this to me? What? What do you mean? I would never do anything like that to you. Never, ever, because I really, really love you and care about you. Did you believe it? Part of me believed, but 
part of me did it and still don't. Did the story touch your feelings? Then let it travel and send it to a friend or even a stranger. You can also rate our podcast in your podcast app. That way, you help us to reach a wider audience and new listeners. Thank you for listening. Until next week.